0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be starting a new chapter today. Genesis chapter 4. I'm not realistically <laughs> expecting us to get all the way through verse 16, but we might as well read it because this is, uh, this is going to be the section we're going to be going over. And we'll, we'll after we read through the whole thing, we'll go through it verse by verse. And whether we finish it today or not remains to be seen. If we don't, we'll pick it up from there next week. But Genesis chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, "'I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper?' And he said, "'What have you done?' "'The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth." And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day. From the face of the ground I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. There's actually a lot of stuff in here that's the first time that it's been mentioned. You have a lot of stuff in this passage that I just read. You have the first conception, you have the first baby boy, you have the first siblings, the first shepherd, the first farmer, the first offering, the first mention of anger at least on the part of a human, the first mention of the word sin. If you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, there wasn't a mention of the word sin over there. It's kind of weird. The first murder, first blood, the mention of blood, actually. Uh, You remember in the Garden of Eden, God actually sacrificed an animal of some sort to give the skins to Adam and Eve. So there had, I'm thinking, had to be blood in that episode, but the word itself doesn't show up until here. The first time a human is cursed, the first mention of fugitive and vagabond, the first vengeance and the first mark put on somebody to protect them. So a lot of firsts, all right? Verse 1, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Adam knew. I would think they knew each other if they're having babies, right? <laughs> but obviously that's an idiom. It's a, it's a phrase that's common in our in our Old Testament. It basically means, you know, they had sexual relations and she ended up getting pregnant from as a result of that. So it's an idiom. We're going to run across it several times as we go through the book of Genesis. It actually shows up only... Three times here in chapter 4, it it shows up in verse 1, verse 17, and verse 25. Each time, you know, somebody knows somebody, and then they end up having a baby or getting pregnant, all right? And then it won't show up again, actually, until after the, the second half of the book of Genesis starts, which is in chapter 12 and following. So in Genesis 1 through 11, you have it here in these three places. Adam knew Eve, his wife. It bears repeating once again, and I'll just touch on it quickly. Adam and Eve, man and woman, husband, wife, this is okay uh, behavior. Outside of this pattern, not okay. All right. So Adam and Steve, you don't find that here. All right. Uh, Outside of marriage, you don't find that here. Adam and Eve, husband, wife, knew each other, had a baby. All right. And she conceived. Now, how weird do you suppose that was? Right. I mean, they knew from the curse. You remember when God told Eve you know what? From now on, because you ate from the fruit, you know, your childbirth is going to be in pain. They knew there was going to be coming a day that they were going to have children, right? There was still included in that part of bad news, some good news, and that was, hey, we're going to have children still. It's not like we're going to be barren, right? So Adam and Eve knew at that time that they were going to have children, but how weird would it have been? What's going on with my stomach? <laughs> What's going on inside of me? You know, because... Uh, who knows maybe god provided them you know slide pictures and said okay when you look like this that's what's going on you know <laughs> or i wonder if they knew from the animals too. there you go that's a good point mm-hmm. really they could have right because we don't know how much time has gone by adam and eve adam lived to be 930 years old it doesn't say how old they were by the time that they had their first child we do know from uh, genesis chapter 5 verses 4 and 5 that Adam lives to be 930 years old. He ends up having Seth, who's after Cain and after Abel, at 130. We also know that he had. they had many more children, brothers, or not brothers and sisters, I mean uh, sons and daughters. Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. So there were lots of people that came from Adam and Eve over the span of 930 years. Yeah, we don't know how long this has been. There's probably, presumably, been plenty of time to watch the animals get pregnant and have babies and go, oh, that's how it works. It's also the first time, obviously, that somebody's been born of a human. So Cain is born, and Eve ends up making this declaration. What is it that Eve says? With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. There you go. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Some of your other translations might use the word acquired. I have acquired a man from the Lord. There's actually a play of words going on here. It's kind of a pun. Because you have Cain, and you have the word acquired, these being in English, it's a pun. In Hebrew, these sound alike. These two words sound alike. So basically, Eve is making a pond and saying, because I've I've had God's help in acquiring this boy, then I'm going to name him a word that sounds like acquiring. Names him Cain. Right? So it's kind of a play on words that's going on there. It's strange, though, because does it say this? Do you see in your Bible where it says this? I have acquired a son from the Lord. Is that what it says? It, does it say son? Mm-mm. What does it say? A man. A man. This word that's used here is actually the normal word for man. It's not the word for son. There is another word that could have been used here for son, but she ends up using a word for man. That's mm-hmm. kind of weird. Why would she use the word for man? The commentators, uh, there's no shortage of guessing as to why that is. And the possibility is, or actually uh, the one of the ones that sounds the most convincing, is that perhaps Adam and Eve... Are remembering back if you remember, and regarding um, the thing to the serpent, he ends up saying, head, then, right? "There you go, exactly. You got it in verse 15. And I will put enmity. He's talking about the serpent between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, this is going to be the descendant of the woman, shall bruise your head. That's the seed of the serpent, and you, the seed of or the serpent, shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman." so there's a promise included in the discussion that God has with the serpent that one day one of the descendants of man and woman will crush the head of the descendant of the serpent, a deliverer of sorts, okay, as far as they know. So perhaps by this time, there's an optimism being expressed by Eve and saying, I've acquired a man from the Lord in the hopes that he's going to grow up to be the one that's going to fulfill that prophecy He's going to be the one that's going to grow up and crush the head of the serpent or crush the head of the descendant of the serpent. Maybe her calling this a man from the Lord is an expression of optimism that this will be the one that will grow up to be the man, the warrior, the one that ends up fulfilling the prophecy. If that's the case, if she really thought that, if she thought that this kid was going to be the one, does that suggest that maybe they thought the fulfillment was going to be closer rather than later? That maybe they thought the fulfillment was right there just about to happen? as opposed to say 4000 years later, <laughs> right? Sometimes in our Bible we run across prophecies and there aren't there aren't tags associated with the prophecies that help us to really figure out when it's going to be. And it oftentimes you'll see people trying to interpret or trying to figure out when it's going to happen and sometimes they miss, all right? But what I mean by that is or to give you an example of that. Paul, if you read some of Paul's letters, you run across some of places where paul uses language where he makes it sound like and he seems to almost believe that maybe the second coming of christ might happen very soon when we know standing where we're standing that it's been two thousand years it's been a long time but from the perspective of the person at the time it looked like it was very close so it should also caution us in a sense because even in our day and age we feel like the time is short and i'll admit i i I would not be surprised if God came back and all things were culminated in my lifetime. I mean, it feels really close. But I can, I can tell you this with all full assurance. There were people 100 years ago that felt the same way. There were people 50 years ago that felt the same way. There were people before me that felt it was that close. Chuck Smith, before he died, he felt the rapture was going to happen before he was going to die. So it feels close, but we not, we need to be careful in recognizing that God's timing is not our timing. God doesn't have to fulfill what's to be fulfilled on our schedule. Let God be God, let him do his thing in his own timing, and our obligation is to look up for our redemption draws nigh, but also to occupy the time by make by being useful while we're here on this earth, whether we're going to be here another day or another week or another month or another year or another century, whatever the case might be. All right. Moving on from there. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. By the way, do you remember the Olive Tav Bible study we did? We did the Olive Tav Bible study, and that was I was looking back here that was back on week three of Genesis. We're on week 21. We've had 21 lessons so far in the book of Genesis. Week three was when we started a two-part passage, or a two-part lesson on the Olive Tav passages. And you remember that part of that study had to do with going to Revelation 22:13, where Jesus himself says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega." The beginning, the end, the first and the last. And the Alpha and the Omega were the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Mm -hmm. The Alpha being the first letter, the Omega being the last letter. And if you were to take the Greek, which is the New Testament, the the language of the New Testament, and you were to, if you were to translate it into Hebrew or you'd use the Hebrew terms, it would be the Aleph and the Tav. So Jesus saying, I'm the Alpha Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, would be equivalent to saying in Hebrew, he is the Aleph and the Tav. And you remember, we looked at a few places where the olive top shows up. There's an olive top passage right here. Mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, if we were to read the olive top in there, it'd say, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from aleph Tov, the Lord. That's, cool. That's kind of neat. I, I, it gives me shivers and makes mm-hmm. the hair on the back of my neck stand up. By the way, also that word there, Lord, is the tetragrammaton. It's the yod heh vav the Yahweh or the Jehovah. All right, that shows up there. The personal God. He's also the one that Jesus himself identifies with when he says uh, in the New Testament, he's getting into an argument with the religious leaders and he basically says, that guy, that, that Yahweh guy, that uh, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, that's me. So it's, it's two indications there. Kind of like two little thumbprints of Jesus showing up in this passage. Kind of neat, kind of neat. I've gotten a man from the Lord. Verse two. Verse two, then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. By the way, when you read through this passage, be alert to how many times you see Abel's name associated with the word brother, all right? It's clear that Abel is a key figure in the passage, but it's also clear that the passage is more about Cain and what he decides to do and what he does than it is about Abel, all right? So you'll see brother show up a lot, and it also helps us to see how the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sees the character of abel he's the brother 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 and it's going to be important when we get to the point where cain says am i my brother's keeper he like reduces it to something else he makes it something other than a relationship that god would intend the relationship that god intends is this is your brother and he's like am i my brother's keeper like am i in charge of him like he makes it into something else all right then she bore this time his brother abel By the way, we had the pun as we were looking at Cain, Cain being similar to the word acquire. There isn't any similar meaning associated with Abel in the sense that there's no pun in the verse. When he's introduced, we don't have why he was called Abel. But we do know that that word in Hebrew actually means vanity or breath or vapor or brevity it's actually the word that's used frequently in the book of Ecclesiastes, where vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is nothingless, all is meaningless, all is a vapor. Everything is just a breath, the brevity. So the suggestion is maybe his name has something to do with his life being cut short. You know, in the grand scheme of things, when people are living to be 930 years, and he's cut short, well, well, clo- well short of that, that maybe that has something to do with his name. Who knows? Maybe he was given the name first and the meaning came afterwards. And when people would use Abel, they would be thinking the shortness or the worthlessness or the meaninglessness or the what a waste, what a waste. You know, maybe the meaning came later. Or some of them, uh, some of the commentators even suggest that maybe they named him later. Maybe he had some other name and after his life was cut short they decided, you know what, we're going to refer to him as a different name. A lot of times in the Bible, you do find people get a name change. Most of the time, though, it's a name change by God, sometimes by a foreign enemy or a foreign king. Uh, but in this situation, it's just interesting to see that that's what his name means, and we're not quite sure who decided uh, he, he was going to be called Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. What is a keeper of sheep? If we were to use an English word, what what, what would that job title be? Shepherd. shepherd, right. So here we have the first shepherd, All right, he's keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. What is that? What's the English word for that? Landscaper. Landscaper. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. uh, uh, Farmer. Farmer. Yeah, farmer. Farmer Farmer would probably be more appropriate, (laughs) (laughs) closer to it. We do find as we go further in the story that it has to do with the fruit of the ground or the the produce or or what the ground could produce. What was Adam's job? Do you remember what Adam's job was originally in the garden? Take care of the garden. Take care of the garden, which included what? okay yeah it was mostly a farming responsibility but if you remember he also had a little bit of responsibility that had to do with animals too so he had a little bit of an animal responsibility but more so more of a keeper of the garden tend to the grounds type of guy all right so his vocation or his calling what's that landscaper Landscaper. so his vocation was more of the ground than it was of the animals how about after the sin and after they were ejected from the garden remember what happened then? Work the ground? Yeah, it had to do with working the ground. In fact, part of the, this is what's going to happen to you now as a result of your bad choice, had to do with the ground. It had to do with, you're going to have to work hard now. You're going to have to work hard Mm -hmm. to get the produce that I would have just given you in the garden. Is kind of the way it sounded. So it had to do with working the ground. So of these two vocations, Abel's vocation and Cain's vocation, which one is closer to what God instructed would be Adam's fate? Mm
1: -hmm. Working the
0: ground, exactly. So the one that was closer was the one that was about working the ground. So Cain is actually following in the footsteps of his dad more closely to what God had said, this is what you can expect in life, than Abel was. And I'm just throwing that out there for your consideration. Because there's a tendency as we read through the story to think, hmm, something's wrong with Cain. Maybe it was because God likes shepherds more than farmers. But that's not the case. Cain's actually following along in the footsteps of what God had intended and spoke more so than Abel, in a sense. All right, so it's it makes it more difficult to just dismiss it as oh, God likes shepherds, and He doesn't like farmers. That's not the case at all. All right. By the way, does regarding does that go along with being the firstborn? With being the firstborn, not necessarily. It doesn't. It doesn't make any correlation or any tie to him being firstborn, and therefore that's why you're going to be doing this job. It doesn't even explain to us how he came about to doing that and why Abel came about to doing. But he's the kind other. of doing what his dad did. Yeah, he is doing what his dad his dad did, and so presumably that could be because he's just following his dad's example and why Abel would go a different direction. I don't know if maybe, you know, Adam coached him and said, hey, by the way, you know, when I was in the garden, I remember, you know, these animals are especially easy to take care of. will not you see what you can do? Who knows? You know, it's speculation, but it's kind of neat to think about. But is it the firstborn that gets... Isn't it the first male that's born that kind of gets the father's... Yes. The phrase for that, I think, is called primogeniture. Something like that. Basically what it means is the firstborn, as time goes on and as the story unfolds, and in the book of Genesis, we're going to run across it more as we get there, that the firstborn could expect more blessings upon them than the secondborn. That the firstborn could expect a lion's share of the estate. And if dad is the chieftain and he passes away, that the firstborn could be expected to be the one that would be taking his place. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, Of the key figures that we find in the story as we follow the path of the family that God intends us to follow as we see through the book of Genesis, that oftentimes God doesn't choose the firstborn, which is really weird. He ends up choosing somebody other than the firstborn through which he's going to do his greater work or through which the the line follows that uh, leads the Savior to the Messiah. So it's really kind of weird that he sets that up and says, hey, this is what you can expect, but then his own choices god can do what he wants right he ends up choosing other than the firstborn more often than not kind of weird great for noticing I mean, not that necessarily uh, the secondborn is usually less deserving of the i mean i'll at least yeah a lot of times jacob less esau, deserving and, and yeah. exactly jacob and esau is one of the examples mm-hmm. yeah exactly right Moving on from there, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, so obviously time has gone by. All right. We don't know how much time has gone by. They could be having other children right now. We don't know. Cain's the reason boy. I bring that up, what's up? Cain's wife. Cain's wife. The reason I bring that up twofold, number one, or let's start with number two, because eventually, next week we'll probably get to it, Cain's going to end up taking a wife. And you're like, where, what, huh? where did he find this wife? Right. And number two, or number one, I guess, if we were reversing it, number one is you find Cain at the end of this story going, oh my goodness, they're going to kill me. Who's going to kill you? You know, he goes, I'm afraid that people are going to see me and they're going to kill me. What people? <laughs> All right. So it's kind of interesting that he makes those statements. We just need to recognize there's a passage of time that, uh, that occurs here. There could be more sons and daughters being born. Who would those other people be? Part of the family. The interesting thing is is that God sets it up that if somebody in the family is killed maliciously, that somebody else in the family can take vengeance on their behalf? That basically, if you're out in the field, let's say you're chopping a tree down and the axe head flies off and it kills somebody, all right? Okay, that's probably a bad example because that's not unintentionally. But let's say uh, you're out there in the field and you decide you're gonna you're gonna take it out on this coworker and you take the axe and you kill that guy, all right? Who's chopping down the tree with you? Well, the killer now can be killed by somebody in that family all right somebody in that family was given the permission to rise up and chase down that guy and kill him there were cities of refuge that you could go to and they had to decide was it accidental or was it on purpose all right if it was accidental you can live in the city and you can't be killed by the person of the family unless you go outside the city if it was if it was on purpose oh, you're done all right. all right verse 3 and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So this is from his work product. He brings an offering. He's tilling the ground. He's doing fruit of the ground. It doesn't necessarily mean fruit. It doesn't have to be strawberries, okay? Fruit of the ground is an idiom or a phrase that basically means, it can be any produce, all right? It could be wheat. It doesn't have to be actually what you and I would call fruit, all right? So he brings of his work product to God an offering. This is actually the first actual mention of an offering being, being brought to the Lord. All right. We don't know where they got this idea. It could be that it came from mom and dad. There is a tradition that mom and dad, Adam and Eve when they were kicked out of the garden, the tradition is that they would make a pilgrimage back to as close as they could get without actually crossing the line and going into the garden and make an maybe an annual offering, an offering to God at the border there between the garden where they used to live and where they had fellowship with god in an intimate way and the place where they've been exiled to outside the garden but interestingly still in god's presence god's presence extended beyond just the garden in fact later on at the end of this story cain is sad because he's then ejected from god's presence it says he left god's presence so apparently god's presence extends beyond the garden to the place where they are when this story takes place. And then eventually he will have to be banished even farther than that, okay? But like I was saying, the tradition is that maybe once a year, who knows, maybe this gave rise to what we call the Day of Atonement that begins tonight. Once a year, they would bring an offering to the border and offer it. I also read in the study of this that there's a tradition, I think it was in China that I read, where the emperor was to go to the border, all right, And to offer a sacrifice, maybe there was an oral tradition that passed down. Kind of weird. Kind of interesting. Do you know what was being offered? I don't know if it was one or many, but it was an animal sacrifice. So here Cain's bringing an offering. His offering, though, isn't an animal. All right? It's not an animal. He's bringing up the fruit of his ground. Abel brings an offering, too, as we see in verse 4. Somebody mind reading verse 4? But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborns of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So you notice in this situation where Abel brings an offering as well, but it's a different kind. What kind is Abel bringing? If Cain's bringing a fruit of the ground offering, what kind is Abel bringing? He brought some barbecue. He brought some barbecue. (laughs) Okay. He brought some barbecue. He's giving some sort of offering in the form of an animal sacrifice, right? Do you notice some of the descriptor words being used there about Abel's offering? What are some of the descriptors, some of the the Board adjectives? Points. The fat portions, good, and what else? Firstborn. First so you have some descriptors there that might lend us clues as to what's actually going on here and what happens in a few moments. So you've got its firstborn and you've got the fat portions. By the way, regarding these offerings, in case we're tempted to think as we read through the story, well maybe God was more pleased with the offering of an animal sacrifice than he was with you know, a sacrifice of a grain offering or fruit or whatever it was that came out of the ground that Cain offered. In Leviticus, it provides for and explains what the different types of offerings are that are acceptable to God. And as you read that in the book of Leviticus, you find that God says, these are the type of offerings that are acceptable to me. And it includes animal sacrifice and grain offerings. So both of these types of offerings are actually covered in Leviticus. Later on, obviously, but in Leviticus, you find that God is saying, those are both acceptable to me. So in case we're tempted to think, well, it's because Cain brought stuff from the ground and Abel brought a sacrifice, he sacrificed. No, they're both both sacrifices. They're both acceptable to God. So we have to look somewhere other than the form or the type of sacrifice that was being brought. Something else is at play here. By the way, when we were talking about the fat in those descriptive words, the firstborn and the fat of the offering when it has to do with Abel's offering, you find in Leviticus chapter three, verse 16, it says, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. All right. You and I, if you're like me, you're probably, yeah, Mike, I like that face that Mike's giving. I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, fat, I don't want any of the fat. If, if, as Dave says, you know, it's a barbecue, you know what, you can keep the fat. I don't want it, right? (laughs) Uh, When we go to a restaurant, if I'm going to order something that has fat on it, I'm going to either try to express that I want the fat trimmed off or I don't want that at all, and I'll order something different. You know, in this situation, we've gotten to where we have an aversion to fat. We don't like it. it. We recognize dietarily it's not something that's going to be healthy for me. It's not such a good idea. I mean, a little bit is, but not a lot. We don't want to lie. All right. But back then, fat was considered of the best part of your offering. If you presented an offering, God says, you know what? The fat is mine too. I'm not sure why that is, but that's to be included. That's to be recognized that the fat means that's part of the best. All right. it says best when you're giving your offering and you include the fat with it, that's best when it comes as your firstlings or your first fruits, that's of the best so there is a possibility to hear especially when you look at NIV for verse 3 that maybe Abel offer is offering of the best whereas in verse 3 in the NIV it says in the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits that maybe Cain's offering he didn't pick the best it doesn't say first fruits does it? Whereas Abel offered of the first fruits, which becomes a big deal as time goes on in the dealings of God and Israel. So it could be that part of the offering has to do with the motive behind the person who selected what is brought, the attitude of the person in preparing this offering. That perhaps Cain says, I'm just going to put something together. You know, I'll just, uh, you know what? This one's got a little mold on it. I can't even, you know, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe whatever the case might've been, we don't know. But it seems to be an indication that there's something about Abel's offering being the best that he had to offer, and Cain's offering being more, it sounds more common, some of the fruit of the ground. That's a possibility, another clue for us to see as we're looking through this. A couple things from the New Testament. The Old Testament provides scant hints as to what's going on here and as as to why God accepted Abel's offering and not accepting Cain's offering. But in the New Testament, we do have a few clues. One of them is Matthew twenty three thirty five. Abel is described by Jesus himself as being righteous. In Hebrews eleven four, we have Abel, faith. There's faith associated with Abel in his offering. Hebrews eleven four says, "By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain." And then Luke eleven fifty and fifty one. There we find that Abel is listed in a category of people called prophets. That's weird. (laughs) Because if you look at this story, I don't see any prophecies that Abel makes. In fact, if you look at the story, Abel never speaks. There are no spoken words attributed to Abel at all, anywhere. And yet he's called a prophet by Jesus himself in the book of Luke. He's listed as bringing his offering with faith, implying in contrast to Cain's offering, perhaps without faith, and called by Jesus, righteous. So he's a righteous prophet who brings his offering in faith, seeming to be in contrast with Cain. What does Cain get in the New Testament? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, Cain, who was of the wicked one. <laughs> That's what Cain gets as his descriptor and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. So Abel's works, whatever works are being referred to, are called righteous, whereas Cain's works are called evil. So it sounds like it's more of the attitude of the person than the actual thing that was brought. And if you remember, it wasn't just the person, but it was the person and the offering that was either rejected or accepted by God. And God regarded Abel and his offering. God did not regard Cain and his offering. All right, we're going to have to end here. We'll pick it up from this point uh, next week, God willing, of course. Let's go and pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank you, Lord, that Your Word is a gold mine. We can we can mine the depths of this for for our our lifetime. We're never going to see the vein run dry, Lord. There's always going to be good nuggets, good ore to pull from this gold mine of Your Word. And we pray, God, that You would help us be more like you each day lord we fail you many times in many ways but we pray lord that those incidences would grow fewer and fewer and lord the times that we would bring you honor and glory than times that we would not grieve your spirit lord we would just grow stronger in our life with you help us to make the most of the time that you've blessed us with that we have left on this earth each of us as individuals and the population of the earth of the earth as a whole thank you in jesus name amen